EMS World Expo is the largest EMS dedicated event in the world, and it's taking you places. And now we bring you stories from Expo. So hello, good morning, and welcome to uh, Stories from Expo. I'm Rob Lawrence, and uh, I'm back in the podcast studio here at uh, in the exhibition hall of EMS World uh, Expo 2019 here in New Orleans. And for this session, we're going to talk about hurricanes. And uh, I'm delighted to welcome David Grovedahl and uh, Lyle Johnson. So why don't we start off by you doing a little intro and telling everybody where you're from and the roles within your organization. Dave, sure. let's start with you. Rob, it's always great to see you at Expo. I'm Dave Grovedahl with Onslow County EMS in Jacksonville, North Carolina. I'm the EMS division head um, in a county of about 190,000 um, with about a 25,000 uh, EMS call volume. Excellent. And Lyle? I'm Lyle Johnson. I'm the deputy director of EMS in Brunswick County, um, North Carolina, which is located between Wilmington, North Carolina and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 980 square miles, about 137,000 people, and we have a call volume of right at 20,000 calls. So I'm imagining you have a fantastic coastline. It's uh, picturesque, and usually it's a beautiful place to be. We have a huge coastline, and the funny thing about our coastline on the East Coast is even though we're on the East Coast where most everything faces East, most of our coastline actually faces South in Brunswick County. Oh, good Lord. There we go. So we've yeah. learned something there. Now, the reason we're here, of course, is because you are on that East Coast, you are exposed to uh, natural, the, the natural disasters, particularly uh, hurricanes. And Hurricane Florence came along and stayed for a while, Dave. So let, let's talk about, first of all, what, what, what the meteorological conditions that led up to Hurricane Florence arriving in your, at your front door. So Hurricane Florence was a little bit schizophrenic. Um, schizophrenic, there we go. Hurricane Florence didn't quite know what track it wanted to take. Uh, first it was going to go a little south, then it was going to go a little north, um, and then it decided it was going to go a little west. Um, and so um, everybody all along the eastern seaboard was wondering, uh, where's the storm going to go? And finally it, it set its path um, right at us at, at North Carolina. So did you play like everybody else does? And Of course, I used to be an East Coaster. Did you play the spaghetti track game of working out what was happening and the and the, the possibilities of it coming to you? Absolutely. We track storms about seven days out. Um, and so we, we will start making plans to start following, identifying uh, the storm and, and what the potential uh, risks are going to be. And so Hurricane Florence was a, uh, was a three uh, category. And... Uh, Lucky for us, uh, or so we thought, it was gonna it dropped down to a to a level one, um, but unfortunately, um, it then sat down on top of us, which is where all of the issues came from. So we know it's coming. The, the beauty of a hurricane is what I call it's a rising tide event. You you can see it coming. You know it's coming towards you. There's always you know the cone of certainty or the cone of uncertainty, depending which way you want to look at it. But of course, how is the preparation in in both of your departments and your areas? Well, in our agency, it started about a week out um, with our special medical needs registry and contacting these folks and to see what their plans were and what we were going to need to do to assist them if they were evacuating or if they were staying just so we'd know where they were, even though we were encouraging everybody to evacuate. And then prepping our equipment, making sure the fuel levels were right. We had fuel in our supplies there with the county, fuel in our vehicles. Um, we were assisting with the evacuations. We have a mass evacuation bus that we did some nursing home evacuations with, um, you know, prior to the storm. And then the biggest thing was, you know, getting ready for when the storm came, making sure we had the food there for our staff, um, securing our bases, 
moving our folks that were on the coast. We've got one station that you can walk out the back door and see the waves breaking. So, of course, we had to get folks out of that station well, prior to arrival. When we get on to the next phase, we may come to, to ask what that looked like after the hurricane had hit. But, uh, so a lot, of, a lot of preparation. And again, are you using, do you have an SOP or a, a plan in order to help you, you know, counting the days down to sort of HR of D-Day days? Absolutely. And that, that probably is one of the most important things is, is to have a policy where you actually outline uh, what you do on different days. And so we do an alert level that says that at, at the three-day mark, we are going to do these things. Um, when we get down to 48 hours out, we go to level two, we do these things. And it becomes a checklist. And so it's so important to have that, that policy, that guideline, the SOP, um, so that you, you get all of those things. You don't forget anything. And so that's what we did. We give a warning to all of our staff, go ahead and make your home preparations now. Um, three days, three days out. Um, get your family taken care of. Get everything in your house squared away, um, because once we hit that forty-eight hour mark, it's going to be all about the community and all about the system. Right, and that's something that the general public probably don't appreciate. That uh, whilst they are going down their evacuation routes, whilst they are, you know, working out if they've got enough fuel for their generators, buying the traditional bread and diapers from the store, we're going towards it. We're, and, and of course, we're leaving the lo our loved ones behind. So of course, that's a great strain perhaps on some, on some, you know, members of, of staff, but uh, yeah. everyone came willingly? Everyone came willingly. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that was one of the issues I had was I reported to work three days before the storm hit. At that point in time, the storm was a category four. I called back home that morning. I said, hey, may not see you for 10, 14 days. Y'all need to leave. This is a category four storm. And my family tells me, nah, we're going to ride it out. So then I have got, you know, good for that. I'm focusing on, on the county, but I've still got families yeah. at home. So we know it's coming. We can we can see, you know, we, we, and with a, with a hurricane, you're going from the first day where it's brilliantly blue sky, and then all of a sudden it, it starts to approach. And this one, Dave, is coming towards you, and it's stopping and stalling. So how was that? So that, that was probably the most complicating or the most frustrating factor was there's nothing you can do about that. You know it's coming. You're prepared for it. And you're hoping that this storm will move through quickly, and all it does is slow down, slow down, and then comes to full stop. And it sat down right on top of us. Um, category one hurricane uh, with all of its winds and then the rain. And then on the coastline, we deal with storm surge. Um, so with our barrier islands, you have to get everybody off of those islands early. Um, and then we just have to sit and wait. And probably the, the worst part is when we get to that point where uh, the winds are too high to get out. You have to secure your units. You have to secure your people. Uh, you know, what is, what's the first tenement of EMS? Is, is it safe? Um, and so we pull everybody off the roads at a certain point. And when we do that, then we just have to wait for the storm to pass. And it can be a long, excruciating wait. So that's a key point because there, again, for those East Coasters watching and listening, there is inevitably that point where the storm's about to hit. We put out the general message by saying, you know, our crews are now taking cover. You know, you're on your own effectively when the storm is coming through. Uh, don't do anything silly. But and normally that's, you know, four or five hours. But you must have been talking about days of that. I mean, how was that? It, it was nearly 36 hours for us um, with how the storm set on us. Um, and like I say, even longer than that, onto the beaches with the wind coming across those bridges, going to those barrier islands. We had to shut those down earlier. But just the amount of rain and the amount of flooding, we were shut down for a 24-hour period. We opened operations back up for a little while and then had to shut them back down when it became dark again because it was just too unsafe to put people out on the road in the darkness due to the damage and the flooding that had taken place. 
and that's a big ask of you know the population at risk, the population that are there. How well do they cope? Did they listen to the instructions and and hunker down and uh, and take cover as such, or did you have to you know endure you know some some perhaps tragedy? We we had. We asked everybody to evacuate. Right. Um, it was it was a, a late evacuation because we were not expecting the storm to go to full stop. Uh, but once once the determination was made by by upper administration um, to to evacuate, we got out as many people as, as we could. Um, we did have a fair amount of the, the population that wanted to ride out the storm. We rode out the storm a few years ago with Hurricane Matthew. We're going to ride out this Hurricane Florence, and I don't think anybody expected the amount of flooding uh, that we had, and so. We had special needs patients, we had LVAD patients, we had oxygen dependent patients, we had dialysis patients. Uh, population that we don't, we don't deal with necessarily every single day, we deal with them from time to time, but they stayed back and then we had to deal with them and manage them and we had to manage them constantly um, in the shelters. We had to pull them out of their homes or have to go check on them every day. Um, so then they really became a, a constant part of our system. So. We're looking after the people. Obviously, as EMS leaders, we also have to look after our own people that are that are there working with us. And so, what considerations, Lyle, did you have to get that over such a long period of time? Well, over a long period of time, we had to number one make sure we had a safe place for them to stay, um, and then we had room for them to stay, and that we were able to you know, feed and water them, make make sure that you know that they had them the food and water that they needed, um, and not only you know in our situation. We work in the emergency services department, which includes emergency management and fire service and everything. We were running a lot of folks out of the EOC, so we had an EOC full of probably close to 100 and some people just in that one building along with three ambulances and then ambulances out in remote locations. Right. Times three meals a day, times yeah. uh, enough bedding, everything else. So right. huge, huge planning considerations, which comes right back to you know seven days out. All of these things have to be thought through, uh, and you can't you know you can't wing it at all with the. With, with this type of a type of operation, yeah. What do you what do you do when there's no power and the water right. the water uh, system has has failed for the most part because there's no power for the generators? Um, how are your crews going to cook their food? Um, do you have a fuel farm system? Um, if your county doesn't have a fuel farm, you're reliant on uh, the community. You know the gas stations to be open. There's no power. All of those people have evacuated the community. How are you going to get to those things? And when a gas station opens to fuel a police car or an ambulance, everybody in the community will find out very quickly um, that that gas station's open and there will be a swarm. Um, so, right. you know, we, we didn't plan for those kinds of things. We sort of had to shoot from the hip and, and work through those as, as we found those challenges. But moving forward, we know that this is, this is the new thing with storms. Um, they are going to slow down. They're going to stop. We saw it again this year in the Bahamas. Um, so instead of looking at a storm of two or three hours, we, we now look at storms of two or three days and, and we look at water. It's not so much about the category five, category three, category one. It's about how much water is it going to dump? How much wind speed does yeah. it have? Those are really the true pieces that we're studying. So one of my you know, documented criticisms of public safety organizations is we spend a lot of time training and planning and rehearsing for the day of the race. You know, the, the emergency itself and sometimes we play a little bit of lip service to the recovery phase and as you know we're in New Orleans let's talk about Katrina the recovery took you know weeks days months years potentially decades 
Um, so, of course, that, there's a key consideration there. And so once it's all over, what do we do next? So what were your thoughts on the recovery and, and what did you guys do? Well, I thought recovery went real well for us. Um, the first issue we had is that, you know, once the storm itself was gone, that wasn't the end of the storm for us because then we had the water coming back downstream to us. And the whole southeastern part of the state was basically an island for up to five, six days after the storm. Nobody could get to us other than by air. Um, but once that was done, and, and then of course in my county, we were divided into four islands within the county, and only one of those islands could get to our major trauma center in the next wow. county. The rest of the county was divided off. Um, the South Carolina Trauma Center on the coast was closed by the governor. They were evacuated, you know, mandatory evacuation. So it was two or three days before they were opened back up and running where our folks in the south end of the county had access to a major medical facility. And we, we had our local hospital, but they don't provide the trauma care, the STEMI care, the stroke care, right. that kind of thing. So, you know, it was dealing with that and figuring out how we were going to get these people where they needed yeah. to be. And then, of course, you know, our recovery is, is still going on. And, and even for our EMS system, we had three bases that had major water damage. Um, they had to have complete redos. They basically came in, yeah. gutted the insides of the buildings and redid those buildings. And we have just recently, within the last two months, moved back in to the last one of those stations that we had to have redone. Right. Hence the importance of the ESF setup and those support functions. You know, once we get into recovery, yes, we are still playing a part in the mopping up, but it's the public works, right. uh, you know, aspects of uh, public utilities that have a lot of a lot of work to do. And of course, whilst and they're, they're restoring things that are cut off, so inevitably there could also be medical emergencies of people that still are without power, without you know any energy. Of course, obviously you have to deal with that sort of thing as well in the recovery phase. Yes, um, and so you know, having to put the roads back together, probably the biggest the biggest risk that we had, and, and Lyle talked about it earlier, was the after the storm passed, the rivers in our area, all the water flowed back into us. So it wasn't just that the storm left. You had a double whammy going on We here. had the double whammy come yeah. back. So the roads were not accessible. So trying to get resources back into the areas took several days. Um, so we were we were relying upon ourselves, um, relying upon our, our, our peer groups uh, to get out there and, and to you know break down the, the trees that were blocking the roads, yeah. um, to be able to move supplies around. <laughs> And really, from an EMS standpoint, all of the agencies, we acted or set our plans up that every station, every truck was going to be its own island. So part of the prep ahead of time was, do you have all the resources available to you for multiple days to not be able to receive supplies? Um, and so we stocked them well, um, and they worked. They were islands all, all by themselves. They had plenty of food, plenty of medical supplies, everything that need, they needed. But... Um, if you imagine being locked in a room with your brother and sister or your least favorite cousin um, for seven or eight days at a time, um, you know, the, the relationship yeah. can get a little tenuous. Um, so, you know, those Someone were some of the things. 12-hour shift does it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I think that was the key there. You know, we're used to a hurricane coming through and you're in and out in 24, right. 36 yes, hours. Exactly. And then these folks were stuck with, with these same people for up to seven days. And, <laughs> it's it's a challenge, as I say, even on the 12-hour shift, you know the life story of the person you're working with, so I can only mm -hmm. imagine what uh, being being there with that. Going back, actually, something that just occurred to me, of course, uh, I've done a number of hurricanes on the East Coast. Um, I was involved with the, peripherally with the London bombings back in you know, 15 years ago, and uh, 
the, the other thing we don't kind of think about is when we know there's about to be a disaster or, or a disaster happens, of course, and we're trying to get people to hospital, there is actually a ripple effect down the EMS chain because not hospitals, the first thing they will try and do is to clear their own back door. And therefore, there becomes actually a double tasking for EMS to be prepared to respond to the emergency and also to clear the back door in order to generate bed space. Did you encounter any of that kind of request or stuff at all? Our, our local hospital, several days ahead of the storm, um, decompressed greatly, um, actually moved some folks to some inland hospitals right. um, and, and made space in the hospital available. And even you know, just prior to the storm, if we were transporting patients to that hospital, if those weren't folks that needed to be admitted, they made an effort to get them out of the emergency room and back out either into a local shelter or back to their home, wherever they wanted right. to go to make sure that if we did have something disastrous happen and we had a lot of patients that they would be capable of taking care of as many as they possibly could. I think it's a pretty key planning consideration yeah. because as I say, we're, do we're doing two types of EMS. We're doing the front door and the back door. Uh, and sometimes it's with the same fleet and you know it, it has to be well balanced and indeed part of the planning, perhaps the consideration. Doing Absolutely. That. We, we had to evacuate a nursing home when, they, uh, when the roof ripped off. Um, oh our hospital actually wound up opening an oxygen bar for oxygen-dependent patients, um, you know, when when you're at home and, and you're on your little oxygen machine, once again, it's it's electrical-driven. So those patients didn't have didn't have the resources, um, the generators and whatnot to need, and we couldn't provide them enough oxygen bottles uh, to sustain them at home. So we had to move them to the hospital. The only the only location that we have in our county that can somebody who's on a constant flow of O2. Um, so they became they became the, the the trendy oxygen bar in the community. Um, you know, the only thing they didn't have was the flavors. And actually, that's a nice segue into one of my other pet subjects, which is public health. And, you know, as part of the preparation, there, there needs to be a massive crossover interaction between EMS and public health to talk about things like medications, talk about, you know, the, the preparation. If you have a vulnerable person that lives with you, um, you know, you need to have your own, get your own house in order, uh, in order to go forward. And, and, uh, and sometimes we, we, we tend to sort of think, well, we need to worry about our emergency, but actually the that any the, the greater amount of public health work we can do beforehand will help us on the on the day of the race because people are generally taking care of themselves. But I think that's a, a key a key message for everybody. I, I have to say, in Brunswick County, our public health is one of our key partners. Absolutely, they're one of the first yeah. ones to the EOC, regardless of what the disaster is. They're there to help. They run our shelters. And one of the issues that we found that we had not expected and never noticed before, you get people that are ordering medicines online and having them delivered to their houses. When the county issued a mandatory evacuation, some of the commercial delivery companies quit making deliveries to the county and their medicine was stuck at the hub, wherever it was at, and they couldn't get their medicine. And that then becomes a 911 issue that we then have to yeah. deal with and then take more people to the hospital that necessarily probably didn't want to go there in the first place. Yeah, if your emergency management and your public health um, are not people that you're talking with daily um, and, and working on plans together, then, then you've, you've got a big problem. Um, we, we are fortunate enough, emergency management is within our department. So it's just a matter of yelling at each other across the hall. Uh, very important. So we've got a couple of minutes. So Dave, if you had to pick out one key lesson that you've both identified and learned, because sometimes lessons are not always learned, from your experience, what would that be? Take care of your people during the storm. Take care of your people right after the storm. Um, we actually started our CISD um, and, and our decompression 
um, while the crews were still at the station. Um, we, we are lucky enough that we have pet therapy dogs um, with our community paramedic program. We brought the pet therapy dogs, we brought the medical directors, we brought the psychology staff, and just let the crews decompress about the experience while they were still there, and then we continued that through for several months. Lila, listen. Communication. Communication with your staff. Hallelujah. It's um, always the first casualty <laughs> of any operation, of course. Um, communication, you've got to establish a communication chain and not just the rumor mill. Um, you can make great plans in the EOC, but if you don't get those plans back out to the staff, they're not going to be able to, to do them. They're not going to be prepared to do them. And at the same time, if there's problems that are occurring out in the field, then we need a communication chain to get that back up to us so we can fix those problems. Um, you know, we've we had some little problems that lingered here and there that caused some issues with the staff and where we had to end up, you know, doing some CISD at the, on the backside. But I think when Dorian came, we had that chain well established and everybody was really happy with the communication that we provided. I'm, I'm a great, I'm a great believer that communications is always the first battle. So if we want to get hold of you for further questions, Dave, how do we do that? Um, the best, play, best way to get a hold of me is either through my email address, uh, david underscore grovedahl at onslowcountync.gov, um, or you can go to the Onslow County Emergency Services Facebook page. I'm Lyle. Best way to get at me is also through my county email. It's lyle.johnston at brunswickcountync.gov, or you can reach me um, on LinkedIn to search for Lyle Johnston. So we agree the weather is changing, particularly in, in terms of hurricanes uh, coming over. We need to be prepared to operate under emergency conditions, emergency lighting, emergency generators for much longer. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank uh, you. So this has been another story from Expo. Uh, I'd like to thank my guests and uh, I've been Rob Lawrence. And uh, you can hear us all again uh, on YouTube and podcast by the MSRL podcast channel. Thank you.